Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Well, good morning. So glad to see you. Looking forward to a great time of God's Word this morning. On this, uh, as we begin our Thanksgiving week, many of you are going to be traveling or people are going to be coming to you. Or if you're not traveling or people coming to visit you, you probably are going to be cooking up a storm. And if you are not doing the cooking, you're probably going to be watching football. And if you're not watching football, I don't know what you're going to be doing, but I I hope you relax and you enjoy it, whatever it is. You're like, I'm working. Okay, well, I I hope that uh, that's not too stressful or difficult, but I'm glad that you are here making time out of your schedule to be right here. Well done for being at church this morning. We're in a new series entitled Kingdom Builders. And uh, last week we kicked off this series and we said the, the, the notion of kingdom building is a new term for us, but really it's what the Bible is all about. You see, the Bible is about a king and his kingdom, and the kingdom is for us to expand, to tell more people about Jesus. That's the goal of this heavenly kingdom, is to expand it in a way that brings people into uh, the fold, tells people about Jesus, gives them hope. And we kicked it off last week by talking about the heart of a kingdom builder. And we were in the book of Ezra, And uh, we were looking at how the nation of Israel had been in captivity for 70 years. And then they are released by King Cyrus at the time to go back to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem's been basically empty and it's all in rubble and needs to be repaired. And so they go back after 70 years. There's been no temple. There's no sacrifice. There's nothing happening. And so these 50,000 Israelites come back to Jerusalem and we said the first thing they did is intriguing. They didn't build the wall. They didn't build the temple. The first thing they built was an altar. And they wanted the first thing was to get their heart ready for what God wanted to do. You see, before God ever does anything through us, he first does something in us. And that starts with the heart. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it says, guard your heart, for out of it are all the issues of life, meaning everything starts with the heart. You see a relationship break apart. You see uh, things happen in a, any type of relationship. It started in the heart. That's where it started. You see anything where somebody says, oh, I just don't feel the same way about that person, that job, or that uh, city anymore. It started in their heart. So God wants to do a great work first in our hearts. And we didn't have an altar, but we said the heart is very much like a door. And when the door is locked and shut, there's not a lot that can happen because the door of our heart is closed. And so last week we said that God wants the door of our heart to be open. And and thankfully, Brian unlocked it for me. And the first service didn't get that nice visual that you guys get. So it's a good thing you came to the second service. The door works in the second service, doesn't work in the first service. But if you want to see that little fiasco, you can go back and watch the video that next week as it plays, you can see the door doesn't work. And I tried knocking it and somebody said, kick it down. And I said, ah, no, I don't really feel like it. I need it for the next couple weeks to return back to Lowe's. And so I want to keep the door in good shape. All right. Um, Probably won't be able to return it. It's, it's not going to last. But be it as it may, God wants access. That was the word we used last week. God wants access to our hearts, but he's not going to force it. He's not going to force his way in. You and I have to make the decision. Are we going to allow God access into our life? You know, many times we complain that we don't have 
uh, the resources that we need, they're not available. And God is saying they are available. They just are on the other side of the door of your heart. And you need to open the door. You need to open your life and saying, okay, God, you can do what you want to do. My heart is open. In every relationship, there had to come that moment where you opened your heart to trust that other person. And when your heart was open, that's when the relationship really grew and flourished. The same happens in your Christian life. When you open the door of your heart, you say, yes, I'm going to trust God with all that I am and receive all that he is into my life. That's when the relationship kicks off, where you step through that door, where you allow God to come into your heart. Changes everything. That was last week. And we asked the question, have you given God access? For what God's about to do, it starts in the heart. And we continue on this week. And this week, we are going to be in the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai is found just before Matthew. So if you don't know where Haggai is, it's in the Old Testament. But if you find the book of Matthew in the New Testament, then just go left a few pages and you'll find the book of Haggai. Now, if you'd like, I would love to get you at the end of our service. We have what I call a New Believer's Bible. And if you want a copy of it, we will make sure you get one because it's very important that we have a copy of God's Word. This will teach you basic Bible truths as well as a great Bible to have on your shelf. And so if you do not have a Bible, we'd love to make this our gift to you. Or you can follow along on the screen. But I think there's something about having a Bible taken out your notes, and then jotting them down. I believe that we retain more as we listen and as we take notes. I'm, I'm big on us taking notes. I was a note taker. I still am a note taker. And I say it like this, note takers are history makers because what we call history at one time was something somebody wrote down and we now take it as history. And we kind of corroborate it, but that's how we get it. And you and I can be history makers by just simply being note takers. And so as we take notes, we want to review, but we're going to be in the book of Haggai. Haggai was a contemporary. He was there when these 50,000 Israelites went back to Jerusalem. He is listed in Ezra. So we're, we're, even though it's a different book, it's still the same time. It's still the same cast, same characters, same story, same uh, plot. Build the temple. That's their goal. They're there to build the temple. And so we pick up in Haggai chapter number one. But before we do that, I'm going to let you know something that you may not know that, it, that this has even occurred. You say, what, what happened? You know, since you and I last saw each other last Sunday, 14 years have passed. You say, no, it hasn't. I don't see any gray hair. You know, somebody this week, they were like, you have gray hair. And then I punched them. And I was like, I didn't, I just did, I did not. But they said the way the light hit my hair, apparently I have gray hair. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. All right, nice. Uh, I didn't even know. And uh, so, but uh, you would say, you don't have gray hair. You don't look very much older. And, uh, you know, uh, okay, so maybe you're right. We didn't rip Van Winkle you. We didn't get a time machine. We didn't go back to the future or anything. But imagine, what would you expect if 14 years had passed? You'd expect to be a little bit older. You would expect to come to church and not be here, but be in our building if 14 years had passed. You would expect that maybe the high-speed rail that started in Bakersfield and went to Sacramento maybe finally got completed. You would expect that there would be some changes. You would expect that your children would have moved out of the house. You expect that they didn't move out, come back, move out, come back. You know, yeah, I mean, you have some expectations. 
you have some expectation. Maybe you got a promotion. Maybe you're in a different city. Maybe you're a different job. Uh, hopefully, still with the same people, you know. But you have some expectations if 14 years had passed. Now, 14 years has passed from when we met in Ezra and where we are now in Haggai chapter number one. 14 years has passed. You're like, wow, time flies. It does. So in Haggai chapter number one, 14 years, have that thought in mind, and let's dive into verse number one of Haggai one. Notice this, verse number one says this. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Hold on, pause, stop. The children of Israel had one job and one job only. Does anybody know what that job was? Shout it out if you know. Build the temple. That was their one job. It's been 14 years and they still haven't done the one job. I know sometimes Spouses can feel like their spouse has taken 14 years to do the dishes, take out the trash, change the diaper, or mow the front lawn or finish that project. I know it can feel like 14 years, but this is literally 14 years, and their one job is still not done. The very purpose for which they went back still is not done. And so God's a little bit bothered by this. And he's bothered because the people, here's what the people are literally saying. The people are literally saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on the people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands." Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would just take this message, take this word, and I pray that it would find good soil in our hearts. It's so easy to look at scripture and let things go by, especially things that may not seem as relevant to us, but God, there is a hidden truth that I pray that you would unlock, illuminate our minds and eyes to see and to hear and to receive this message. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. How do you handle a big task? When you have a big task, what do you do? Some of you are like, just get after it. 
You don't want to do it, but you just got to do it. Or do some of you delay in doing it? Like, I'll get around to it. And then you'll say something like this. Well, I got, I got to plan out how I'm going to do this. I got to figure out a strategy. You know, I mean, mowing the lawn, that's just not a very simple task. Do I want to have diagonal lines? Do I want to have straight lines? Do I want to make sure the pattern of the wheels stay exactly right so I have that nice green grass like my neighbors? I got to plan this out. I got to sit here with my ST in Sports Center on my phone and contemplate this, this problem. I need to go to the mall and I got to pon- contemplate and it helps me to think if I'm in the clearance aisles at Macy's and I just, you know, I'm thinking about the problem, the thing I need to do, but it helps for me to be finding deals along the way. I'm productive. How do you handle a problem? You see, the children of Israel, they had a problem. Their problem was they need to build the temple. 14 years have elapsed and they have let problems mount up so they still have not done the very thing for which they are there to do. They had a purpose, and they were not fulfilling their purpose. As a matter of fact, if you're taking notes, please write this down. They postponed their purpose. It'd be one thing if somebody had stopped them, which in chapter 2, when we go back to Ezra, that does happen. Somebody does try to stop them, but then eventually they can go back to work, but they don't go back to work. They get that problem resolved, and then they don't go back to fixing. They don't go back to working on anything. You see, many of us, we are not guilty of somebody else stopping us. We are guilty from stopping ourselves. You know, this morning, nobody stopped you from waking up at 4.30 if you wanted to wake up at 4.30. You say, yes, somebody was stopping me. My wife, my husband, they don't want me getting up that early. It wakes them up and then they can't go back to sleep. Well, for the most part, nobody's actually forcing you to not wake up and spend time with God. You can spend as much time with God as you want to. Nobody's stopping you from that. And oftentimes we we look at our lives and we can assume that maybe somebody else is stopping me. But the reality is you and I are oftentimes our own worst enemy. We are stopping ourselves from growing and maturing in spiritual development. It's usually us. It's usually us. You and I have more time than we realize. You and I can take uh, matters into our own hands. We can do more than we realize, but oftentimes we don't. You see, the children of Israel, they had nobody to blame but themselves. They only had themselves to blame for why the job wasn't done. So this morning, I want to let you know I'm coming for you. You say, what do you mean I'm coming for you? I am coming for your excuses and your reasons why you're not fulfilling your purpose. You say, well, I got family in town. I got friends in town. Well, I'm coming for theirs too. Because you and I, we too often give in to excuses, reasons for why we are not fulfilling the purpose to which God has called us to. Because every single individual here this morning, they have a purpose that was placed in their lives by God before you were even born. God says, I formed you in your mother's belly. I knew you. God has a perfect plan that he wants to do for you. I heard of something tragic this week. You see, in uh, Canada, they now have something. They call it MAID. It stands for Medically Assisted Induced Death, something like that. The A and the I are something. But what it is is a little pod that you can order. shows up to your house, and after 18 years of age, you get in the pod, it puts you to sleep, and you die. It's now something that's now all across uh, Canada that you can get. You look it up. It's called MAID. And there are teenagers that say, I can't wait till I'm 18 so I can order it. You say, what if it is a joke? What if it's not? 
What if they're just being funny? How sad is that they think nothing of their life, but they just can't wait to end it because they don't understand that they have a purpose. Because when you tell somebody you just evolved from some primordial ooze, that you're just some animal with no soul, no conscious, what do you expect them to do? They have no purpose then. And you give them a Christianity that has neutered its purpose where we don't show people that we have a great high calling from God, that we do have purpose on this earth. Then guess what? They go around their life and they just think, I don't have a purpose for being here. What purpose is there? They look at everything going on and they think, I don't want to be in this life. If there was nothing before I was born, then there's nothing after I die. So why stay here? And the church, we've done a poor job because we have postponed our own purpose. We're not building a temple. We're building something that's so much bigger than that. We are building the kingdom of God. We're expanding God's kingdom, telling people about Jesus, but yet you and I are the only ones that are slowing the process down. I noticed something that Jesus says. I I don't know if you caught it. In verse number two, the Bible says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, I don't know if you underline your Bible, but I underline that. Because typically Jesus or God would say, my people. He doesn't say my people. He says, these people. Like, they're not mine. I don't know whose they are. You ever done that in the grocery store? You're like, I don't know whose kids these are. They ain't my kids. It works well for Jane and I. Because our kids don't always look exactly like us. So we can kind of get away with it. But for the most part, we've done that. We're like, I don't know who these children are. Or maybe wives, you've done that. I don't know who this man is. I have no idea who this guy is. You know, this guy is crazy. God is doing the same thing. He's saying, hey, these are my children because my children, they would have built the temple by now. They don't postpone their purpose. They know what they're put on this planet to do. These can't be my children. Does God ever look at you and say, hey, I I don't know if you're one of mine. One of mine live different. One of mine act different. One of mine love their neighbor. One of mine would serve one another. One of mine would be humble and kind and loving and caring and considerate. I don't know if you're one of mine. This message hurts close to home in that regard because you and I are guilty of claiming the name of Jesus, but yet we still postpone our purpose. Can I say this? You don't postpone what you prioritize. They went from prioritizing God to postponing God. I mean, There's some things you could postpone. You could postpone a doctor's appointment, a haircut. You could postpone dinner plans, but you do not postpone God. We heard a great message a few weeks ago. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. You know what's amazing? They then looked at their purpose, which was a responsibility to rebuild the temple, and then they give us a list of reasons why they didn't do it. I don't know about you, but I hate excuses and I hate reasons. And I hate it when I give them to myself. You, you, you've done it. You know it. There's those people. You say, hey, you want to get up tomorrow morning and go running? And they say, ah, oh, it's too cold. Like, okay, a couple days later. Hey, want to get up and go running? It's too hot. Okay, call them a couple days later. Hey, you want to get up and go running? It's too nice. I'm going to go to the beach. It's too nice to be out running. <laughs> like, wait a minute. You're the only one giving the excuse here. And that's a silly excuse. But sometimes... We give other excuses, don't we? We give all kinds of reasons. Notice what they said in this passage. They said this. This is crazy. They said, it's not the right time. It's not a good time. I mean, I've used that one. I'm not going to do a show of hands because I think everybody would raise a hand and have said they've used that. 
I was going to say wives. I'm sure you just never mind. I won't go there. I won't go there. Stay away. I'll behave. I'll be good. Anyway, children present. So moving along. Some of you have used it. It's just not a good time right now. It's not a good time to go to church. This is not a good time in my life. It's just not a good time. And then they didn't just say it wasn't a good time. They said, it's not God's time. As if that is the rubber stamp mark that just, hey, once you put God on it, you can't argue with it. And God's like, that's not what I said. I never said it's not my time to do it. Because God is saying, it's all my time. If I give you something to do, I expect it to be done right away. And what's amazing, you and I admire people that they accomplish incredible feats in spite of great obstacles. We admire those people. I was telling the first service, and they didn't really get it too much, but uh, when Kobe Bryant was alive and playing for the Lakers, he had a season that he played the whole season with a broken wrist. And everybody was like, that's amazing what Kobe Bryant could do. Just incredible. And it's awesome. We look at that and be like, wow, look what he did. We hear about Michael Jordan's flu game. And we're like, look what he did. And I believe it was against the Utah Jazz. And look what he did, man. He scored all those points. And then he was super ill. Like, that's amazing. And yet you and I, although we idolize those stories, any excuse is a good excuse, right? Any excuse to not do what I don't want to have to do is good. I'm looking for a reason. And yet God is so tired of us doing that. The only person postponing your purpose is you. God has put this purpose inside of us and you have to move forward with it. And they said it's not a good time. And that is the best sounding worst lie you can say. It's just not a good time not a good time. Wait a minute. Why is it not a good time to do what God wants you to do? <laughs> you know, 2013, and God had put it on Jane and I's heart to plant this church, Southridge Church, and the economy wasn't really great. I didn't have a lot of income. I was working at a church, wasn't making a lot. I was joking with our kids. I said, man, just to go to Costco and get a Costco hot dog was like, that was cool. And then I would every once in a while get in trouble because I would go to Redbox and I would rent a dollar DVD and my wife would be like, you spent a dollar. And I was like, yeah, I spent a dollar. She's like, we didn't have a dollar. In all seriousness, it wasn't like, you know how uh, ladies sometimes you say, we don't have any money. And then you hide the bag with the new shoes. We don't have any money. No, no, this is we didn't have any money. And I bought a DVD. She's like, we don't have money. Like, did you want gas in the car or do you want to watch the video? And I was like, I can walk. I watch my DVD, give my two hours of pleasure because I got to walk. So I might as well get some entertainment before I got to walk. And we were joking with our kids like, man, it was not a great time to plan a church because the economy wasn't doing good and we needed to raise a bunch of money. So we traveled all these different churches and we met this wise missionary who's a missionary to Papua New Guinea. He's still there and he gave us the wisest advice. He said to, my, to, to myself and Jane, he said, do not set a dollar amount, set a date when you're going to plant the church. Because he said, if you set a dollar amount, you will never go and plant the church. He said, but if you set a date, come the dollar amount or not, you're going to do it. And almost nine years later, that advice has carried us. And we still talk about it to this day because I see so many people saying, when the conditions are right, then I'm going to do it. When everything works out, then I'm going to move forward. Then I'm going to serve God. Then I'm going to give to the work of the Lord. Then I'm going to go on that mission trip. Then I'll make a difference in my community. Then I'll show up and be a parent. Then I'll work on my marriage. Then I'll be sold out for God. I'm waiting for another time. I'm telling you, stop putting a reason why you won't simply do what God wants you to do. 
Because I'll tell you this, your reason only sounds reasonable to you. God doesn't look at your reason and be like, oh, I never thought of that. Well, I'm an idiot. I just created the universe. Oh, I didn't think the economy's not great. Inflation, oh, don't build a building now. Wait till the economy's better. What was I thinking, guys? Why do we play those games with God? God knows exactly what time it is. God knows exactly the season he's called us to. As a matter of fact, you can go to Ecclesiastes chapter number three, verse number one. It says he's given the times and the seasons to everything there is a season. We only know the song because the Beatles sang it, but it's actually scripture verse to everything there is a season. God knows the season. He knows what he's doing. And we have to say, God, I know you can control the season. It's not on me. And so when Jane and I planted the church, we didn't wait for a dollar amount. We'd go to a church and they would promise $50 a month. So that'd be $600 in a year. We were able to get churches, about 70 churches to pledge to give us $3,998 a month. We were like, oh, praise God, that's great. That'll help out. That didn't even cover the rent for the Oak Ridge Mall movie theater. That was $4,000 a month. I haven't paid my mortgage. I haven't paid my medical. I haven't bought groceries. I haven't bought my red box and I haven't got my Costco hot dog yet. Where's that coming from? And what if I would have said, I'm going to wait for the date. Can I tell you, we met other friends. This isn't a slam on them. They would say, we're going to wait for this dollar amount. They still have not made it to the mission field. They're still waiting on the dollar amount. All the while, Jane and I never had the money. We had an American Express card that we said, max it out. We'll go to Costco. We'll buy what we need. We'll borrow what we can. And we're going to start. And I was thinking about this morning, if you showed up to that first service, you probably wouldn't come back because we sang hymns. I wore a suit. We were in a dark theater. I had the worst mic you've ever seen. And it was terrible lighting. You couldn't actually even see me, even though I'm a pasty pale white guy. There was no lighting in the theater. And they hadn't made the Oak Ridge Mall movie theater nice. They were still ghetto with these like turquoise seats. And there was always this homeless guy who would sit in the second row, eat the donuts, drink her coffee and go promptly to sleep. What an encouragement every Sunday. I was like, I'm a great preacher. This guy's getting his power nap. Man, this is great. Building the church. And it's exciting now as I look back and I'm like, okay, millions of dollars later, land paid for, blueprints done, ready to build. Oop, I'm giving something out of the bag. You got to come to Vision Gala. Don't miss Vision Gala. You're going to hear way more good news. Uh, But anyway, there's all these things that I'm like, what if Jane and I would have been waiting on that dollar amount? Do you know how much we would have needed to raise? Do you know how much time? This church probably wouldn't even be started yet because this area is so expensive, it's so hard. So stop giving a reason why you can't obey God. God isn't expecting you to give him a reason. He's actually trying to test your faith whether you will do it. He's trying to get you to grow beyond. He's trying to get you to see that, guess what? These self-imposed limitations are all in your head. They're your limitation. You ever heard of uh, how to hold your breath underwater for over a minute? You ever heard it? It's amazing. You think, oh, I could never hold my breath underwater for a minute. Actually, everybody in this room, you could hold your breath underwater for a minute with no training. Easily could do it because it's actually all up here. And I do it whenever I go through a tunnel. I hold my breath. As I drive through a tunnel, you say, that's weird. What if you pass out and kill five people? Never thought about that. 
but it's a game that I do, okay? So maybe there'll be a, t- a day where you hear about a car accident in the tunnel. It was me. You could bet on I passed out. But here's my trick. When I'm about to run out of air, you know what you do? Let out air. It tricks your brain into thinking you're about to get more air and you can go another 20 or 30 seconds. So when you're at your limit, give a little bit more. Your brain thinks you're about to take some oxygen and you're about to go a little bit farther. So you and I are the only ones holding us back from this purpose, this life that God has. So your reason is actually holding you back from a life you never thought possible. We love seeing people break their limits and break boundaries, but yet we in our Christian lives, we're so hesitant to, and we use such safe, coddling words like, well, God wants me to be comfortable. No, God has put you on this earth for a cause. Go after that cause in spite of your comfort. Go after something, live for something, do something, pursue a life that's bigger than yourself, and you will see that not only your marriage transforms, your family transforms, your church transforms, your city transforms, your county, and maybe God will take this thing that is local, and maybe he'll take it global, because there's some people that did didn't simply say, I'm going to postpone my purpose because look where they were 14 years later. God says, you say it's not the right time, but here's the craziest part about this passage. He says, but wait a minute, my house isn't built. And this is wild. In this verse, I looked at it. In verse number, you got to see it just for a second. Verse number five, excuse me, verse number four. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? Wait a minute. They didn't have time to build God's house. But that's not singular house. It's plural. What does it mean? They were like, God, I I was too busy building my homes. I need a summer home. I need a winter home. I need a cabin in Tahoe. I need a nice Airbnb in the Palm Desert. You know, Coachella, I make a lot of money during Coachella, so I got to have a Palm Desert home. It just makes sense. And then, you know, I want to have a vacation home, so I already bought my vacation home, so I got to have that. So I didn't really have time for your house, God. God's like, you had money and time to do what you wanted to, but you had no money, no time, no resources to do what I asked you to do. The one thing I asked you to do, the one thing I asked you to do. Our life group had this discussion. We said, it hurts when you ask your love one to do one thing and they don't do it and you say well that was the one thing I asked you so that was important to me it may not have been important to you but I thought because you love me that you would actually prioritize that and God is thinking the same thing God is thinking but I thought you loved me because I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross for you and to save you from your sins so I thought you would prioritize the one thing that I asked you to do and I get it so many times people will come to me and say pastor I really got to focus on my family I will tell you this, if you put God first, Matthew 6, you will not see your marriage break apart. You will not see your family break apart because God will help you align things in proper order. God will help you to realize that after him, then comes your spouse. Even before yourself, even before you sit down to eat, even before you sit down to watch football, that you say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna make sure my wife is eating or I'm gonna make sure she's taken care of. I'm gonna open the car door for them. Don't you think that person would be like, I love being married to this person. They put their needs last, my needs first. This is great. This is awesome. That's how it's supposed to be because that's what this Bible teaches us, to honor preferring one another. It's preferring, it's that preference. But here 
Oftentimes, we put ourselves first and we wonder why our homes and our marriages and our churches are a wreck because everybody wants theirs. Everybody's prioritizing themselves instead of simply saying, no, you go first. I love it when I see a potluck line at the church because I watch you guys. It's a trap. I watch to see who's going to let who go first. Because it's amazing what we do for food. If you talk to Edward, Edward will slit your throat for food, all right? <laughs> Edward, when it comes to food, don't mess with him. He, he, he don't mess with his food. I said, isn't that funny? We live in America where we have more food than we know what to do with. We have so much food. And we can easily get food. Food is everywhere. But it's amazing. And this isn't anything bad. I just was taught, you let the elders and the ladies go first. Just what I was taught. It's just, hey, out of respect, let them go first. You say, well, nobody else is going, and I just thought I'd be the first. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm just saying, I just, I just notice these little things because I feel like that's the way we do life. Because how we do anything is how we do everything. How we do anything is how we do everything. This is why we put greeters in our parking lot that are waving and smiling at you. Because we want you to know the moment you step into the parking lot that we have thought about you, we prayed about you, we prepared for you, and that if we have put people in the parking lot that are standing in the cold and in the heat, waving and smiling, even though they are freezing their feet off, that they walk under this place and they're like, man, this church was expecting me. They care about me. That means my children will be safe in their children's ministry. That means they thought about the teaching. They thought about the music. They have thought about everything. And that they want me to have a different kind of life. And so everything we do matters. And yet sometimes when you feel like I'm just postponing, it's not a big deal. No, it all matters. It all matters. You and I have to get back to this thing where we say, you know what? My reasons only sound reasonable to me. It's not about time. It's not about resources. Because here's the crazy thing. You and I are like, well, I don't have the resources. What God is trying to teach you and I is to be resourceful. I'll hear people tell me, well, I don't really have money to give and to invest. And I'm like, that's a really nice new watch you got there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, um, I think the wife got it for me. Oh, okay. Some of you are never going to show me anything new or nice, <laughs> right? It, no, it's just amazing that you and I, we can buy somebody lunch, and then we turn around and we see them buy a new pair of shoes. And we're like, wait a minute, I just paid for your lunch, and yet you can afford shoes? It's amazing that God looks over heaven and he's like, imagine what kind of kingdom work could be done because this church has more vision than we have provision. Our vision is so much bigger than just San Jose. I hope you know that. This year I've been praying. I was like, God, there's got to be a vision beyond that building because that building, once we build it, once it's done, that's just the beginning, not the end. Zero Piercy Road is not the finish line. It's the starting line for this church. We're, we're not going to get in that building and be like, oh, whew, rest. No. It's sit there, praise God, rejoice, and say, where can we do this elsewhere? Because we have figured it out. There are cities that don't want more churches. And when I say they don't want churches, I'm not lying to you. They do not want churches. But we have figured out how in the hardest areas to build the church and to get it done. We're doing that. And it's not because we're so talented. And it's not because we have all the dollar amount. It's because we are simply saying, God, we will go. We will do it. We're not going to prolong our purpose. This is why we're here to build this and to go forward and to show this area that great things can be accomplished but we've got to be willing to step out. 
and where you and I don't see resources, we have to say, maybe God is teaching us to be resourceful. I'm not ashamed. I'll grab cans. A can is worth 10 cents. I'll smash a can, recycle it. I'll grab a bottle. I'll pick it out of a trash can. I'll pick it out of the parking lot. And I'm like, hey, that's money. It's money for a hot dog and a dollar uh, movie at Redbox, which is now $1.50. You say you don't have money for anything. There's cans out there. There's things you could do. You can come up with five bucks, put in the plate. My friend, it's not about the money though. It's about the resourcefulness. I told Jane the other day, I was like, and I got upset with her and I said, I don't like squeezing the very end of the toothpaste. I got this weird phobia about it because when you squeeze, when when the toothpaste is all done squeezed out and you get that little last bit and where you're squeezing the thing of the toothpaste, it gets this watery liquid along with the toothpaste. And I'm like, I just imagine people spit in with my toothpaste. I don't know why. And I, I don't like it. And she was like, I grew up in the Philippines. This is how we do it. She grabbed a pair of scissors. She cuts it and she dips the toothbrush in. She swirls it around. And she's like, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. That toothpaste, still toothpaste in there. Isn't that amazing? We just aren't very resourceful. You're thinking, how are we going to do this? And I'm telling you, God is teaching us some great lessons. You see, when you postpone your purpose, you're just prolonging the process. God was like, this should have been done by now, guys. You say, what process? Did you not catch that they were going through a drought? Did you not catch that they were going through a famine? Did you not catch that it was like everything they were working for wasn't earning them anything? God is like, I'm going to get you to learn this process one way or the other. Some of you are like, why am I not experiencing progress? And it's because you are not obedient to what God first told you. So my question for you as we close is, what is preventing your progress? What's preventing it? What is that thing that God has called you to? They say if you live 70 years, you're going to sleep 23 of it. You're going to work 16 years. You're going to watch TV for eight years. You're going to eat for six years. You're going to travel for six years. You're going to do leisure for four and a half years. You're going to be ill for four years. You're going to just get dressed two years of your life. You're going to spend time in church or any religion that's going to be half a year of your life. And that's 70 years. How are you going to spend your life? What are you doing with it? You know, postponing your purpose is almost as bad as not even having a purpose. And that's the sad truth. When you postpone your purpose, it's almost as bad as that you didn't even have a purpose. Because nobody in this room is holding you back but you. What God has next. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? I believe that God has great things in store for you and I. I believe there's a great church that God is building right here, right now. But it starts with people who will stop prolonging their purpose. With people who will say, God, I want to give you everything. God, the door is open. It's not shut. I'm giving you all access. And I'm not going to prolong my purpose any longer. And so this morning, I want to pray for you. Maybe you're here and you're saying, yeah, I know God's given me a purpose. And I've just been sitting on it waiting on it and not acting on it. I know what God wants me to do because our reasons is just quiet rebellion. Every time we give a reason, 
It's just quiet rebellion. And so this morning, I want to pray for you that you would say yes to God's purpose, that you would get back to your purpose. Is that you? Would you slip up a hand? Can I pray for you? Anybody like that? Oh, amen. God bless you. Oh, amen. God bless you. Oh, praise the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for raising hands. James. Heavenly Father, you see these hands? You have put us on this earth for so much more than to just take up space. You put us on this earth to fulfill great things. You put us on this earth to expand your kingdom, to shine the light of the gospel into the dark corners and dark places of our cities and our neighborhoods and our schools. And God, I pray that you would ignite within us a passion and a fervor to stop postponing our purpose, but to be fully engaged, to do whatever it takes to fulfill the purpose with which you placed in our hearts. So that one day we would stand before you and we get to hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. We want to fulfill our purpose. And it doesn't matter how young or how old we are, we still have time to fulfill the calling that you've given us. So God, you see these hearts, you see these hands. May they be bold this week to go after their purpose. May they let nothing get in the way of stopping them. And God, when their own flesh, their own heart wants to get them to stop, give them strength of mind, strength of character to get up out of bed, to grab their Bible, to grab their journal, and to get in your word and to go deep with you, to walk in a new, different direction where they say, God, you're going to do something new in their life. And so Father, would you give our church a great awakening, God? wake up to your kingdom purposes that you place inside of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.